Hey, don't miss an even deeper look into the dark web with Cyberlaw Now and Stephen Tepler. It's easy to find. Just go to commando.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcast player. Search Cyberlaw Now. That's Cyberlaw Now. You really need to sit back and pay attention. Because this podcast could easily be worth, are you ready, a billion dollars. Wow, wow, yes, yes, I love it. I'm calling it the Billion Dollar Podcast because you are going to hear success secrets from two of today's top tech innovators. These guys are the real deal, heavy hitters. They're the ones dreaming up impossible inventions in the tech underworld. They are creating your future. And they're even cooking up the next big breakthrough. You know, something that in 10 or 15 years, you won't be able to live without, or maybe even five years. Their brains are churning out forward-thinking ideas, and they have the smarts to put it all together and make it work. Now, some would call them visionaries, so get ready. They've agreed to share some of their superpowers on this podcast. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably dreamt up an invention that you swore would make people's lives easier. But in the end, you talk yourself out of it. All those negative thoughts come to mind. No, I could never actually build this. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't know the right people. I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, I call it victimitis. And if that's you, this podcast could change your attitude and maybe your life. But what if you're not an inventor? What if you're an investor? And who doesn't like to make money? Remember when people laughed at the iPhone? Well, who's laughing now? People who sunk their money into the iPhone are now laughing, well, all the way to the bank. Do you remember those IBM stockholders back in the day? Holy Toledo, did they make a fortune? Money doesn't grow on trees, you can't just plant a seed, you gotta work it out. Give me some of that cold cash, I want to stop it in my cash, I'm really like big stacks, I need the bricks to build my house, you need all of that, all of that, till the ATM runs out. If money can buy happiness, then why is it so fabulous? You, too, can become a smart investor in technology. But there's one thing that you always need to do, and that's stay ahead of the curve. And if you do this, you may be able to cash in on ideas that nobody thinks are even possible. And then you'll be able to look back and say, I was right. Coming up, you're going to hear how two of today's top innovators became visionaries. Plus, you're going to get a sneak peek at what's brewing in the think tanks of tomorrow. You'll be amazed. And you're probably going to want to listen to this podcast more than once because these interviews are packed with gold nuggets in each sentence. Before we talk about how to stay ahead of the curve in technology, we need to learn what not to do. We need to learn from those who have been, well, wrong. We call them naysayers or Debbie Downers. And boy, do I feel sorry for them. They were wrong about the washing machine. They were wrong about radio. They were wrong about computers. They were wrong about IBM. And they were wrong about the iPhone. Oh, the naysayers. They will never be on the cutting edge of technology. They're never going to make a fortune inventing the next big thing. They will spend the rest of their lives trying to copy what geniuses have already marketed and sold. Some of these guys are pretty heavy hitters, too. Check out what the CEO of Microsoft said about the launch of the iPhone. 
Steve, let me ask you about uh, the iPhone and the Zune, if, if I may. The Zune uh, was getting some traction, then Steve Jobs goes to Macworld and he, he pulls out this iPhone. What was your first reaction when you saw that? <laughs> $500? Fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world, and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. Right now, well, let's... Take phones first. Okay. Right now, we're selling millions and millions and millions of phones a year. Apple is selling zero phones a year. All right. I'm sure Steve Ballmer is kicking himself now, so we're not going to pick on the guy too much. But let's face it. Not everyone can spot a diamond in the rough. But still, I don't understand how so many experts could be so wrong. Even the tech sites like Engadget... Well, they didn't believe that the iPhone was worth much either. I'm not impressed with the iPhone. As a PDA user and a Windows Mobile user, this thing has nothing on my phone. No thanks, Apple. Make a real PDA, please. Neither did the chief technology officer for a big company. I'm talking about Motorola. There is nothing revolutionary or disruptive about this technology. And it's not like nobody had ever seen a touchscreen before. IBM actually came up with one back in 1992. But let's face it, it wasn't that great. Phones were connected to the internet, and you could take a decent photo with one. But the iPhone was totally different. It was a strange animal. There were no more keys. You had this full online experience. And when you first looked at the iPhone, you sat back and you said, wow, what doesn't this thing do? Here's an excerpt from Steve Jobs when he first introduced the iPhone to the super excited crowd. It happened at Macworld in 2007. Today... We're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. Three things, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. Today, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. We had to edit this down because the applause just went on and on and on forever. That was over 10 years ago. And the naysayers, they called it useless. Well, TechCrunch is a big blog site, and their writers did. Here's what one columnist wrote. (laughs) That virtual keyboard will be about as useful for tapping out emails and text messages as a rotary phone. A rotary phone? Really? The iPhone was a virtual goldmine, and now it nearly dominates the market. The iPhone is the hub of the personal computing universe. But will it stick around? Okay, think back. Do you remember the Palm Pilot? Well, it didn't last very long, but at one time, it was totally all the rage. 
you didn't have a Palm Pilot, you just weren't cool. So it makes sense that Palm CEO John Rubenstein, well, listen, he had nothing nice to say about the iPhone at all. Is there a toaster that also knows how to brew coffee? Because it would not make anything better than an individual toaster or coffee machine. Okay, Mr. Rubenstein, where are all those Palm Pilots now? Now, I hate to say it, but they could probably make a Toy Story type movie about the poor, lonely, abandoned gadgets of yesteryear. Come to think of it, they were wrong about me, too. I was knocking on doors, trying to get into the radio business. And I actually had somebody at ABC syndicated radio tell me, Kim, who is ever going to listen to a show about the Internet and computers? It's too niche. And then my favorite, though, is the guy over at CBS. And here's the gentleman who's in charge of all the programming for the entire CBS radio network. And I finally get him on the phone and I send him my pitch package and I call him up to follow up. His name was Frank. And I say to Frank, Murphy was his last name. Mr. Murphy, what do you think? And he said, Kim, do you remember the pet rock? Well, your show is about as useful and long-lasting as the pet rock. Okay, they were wrong. Very wrong. I think I should call up both Franks. Frank at CBS and Frank at ABC and sing them that song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. Let's go back to the iPhone. Is it gonna be around in the next 10 years? Can we imagine what will really take its place? We start using catchwords like robotics, virtual reality, augmented reality, interactive and artificial intelligence, and they start to creep their way into our conversations. So we sit back and we ask ourselves, what will the next big thing be? And to go to this place, you have to have an open mind. We've heard from the naysayers. They didn't believe in what they saw. Now we're gonna hear from two visionaries on how to do it the right way. Do naysayers sometimes get in the way of our creative process? I mean, what is it about a truly innovative idea that the naysayers just will not accept? So let's take that in parts. Most people see with their eyes open. The visionary sees with their eyes closed. And so when you mention naysayers, they're simply people that cannot see what you can see. And it's your job as a visionary, as an innovator, to show them what it is that you can see. So they're actually being very kind to you. They're guiding you in terms of what you need to do in order to bring your innovation to the world. That's Marcos Polanco. He's from New York, but he's a household name in Silicon Valley. He's one of the current leaders in the development of what's called interactive intelligence. This guy is super smart a Stanford computer systems engineering graduate. Okay, whoa. He co-invented collaborative classification machine learning. That's big too. And he owns his own algorithm patent. And talk about tech. This guy has shipped out a dozen iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps that he built with Swift and Objective-C, featuring Apple Maps, Bluetooth, Firebase, Stripe, push notifications, and core data. Now, if all that sounded like mumbo-jumbo to you, just know that it's huge. He also delivered the Enterprise Objective-C application for a Silicon Valley startup. And in his spare time, he's the co-founder of Imana Inc., 
they deliver Java-based desktop and application servers to some 10,000 corporate users. Not only has Marcos coached over 50 tech startup companies at Silicon Valley's Founder Institute, he's responsible for bringing the U.S. aerospace industry to Puerto Rico. Get this, you know how every time you view your online shopping cart, you see what other people have also bought? Well, that's his idea, just FYI. So yeah, Marcos, you're super smart. You've been right a few times. I love the online shopping cart suggestion thing. How exactly did you come up with that? So basically what you're referring to is uh, collaborative classification. It's just like Amazon, where Amazon, when you put something in your cart, it says, hey, people who put stuff like this in your cart also bought these other things. That's collaborative filtering. That's basically saying, hey, you're behaving like other people and therefore the things that they did might be relevant to you. And so at the time, I was just chatting with a friend and he was telling me about the signal to noise ratio of the internet. There's too much noise and you can't hear the signal. You can't hear the quality. Mind you, the internet was tiny, tiny in relation to how large it is today. And almost spontaneously, I came up with the idea. I was like, well, why don't we have people vote on it? Why don't the choices of other people affect your choices? You know, why don't we, in a way, build a human network? And as a matter of fact, when we founded a startup around that idea, our tagline was activating the human network. Because what we saw is that the internet wasn't just an internet of computers, but it was also an internet of people. And that kind of goes back to an early story of the internet. When the internet was invented, they thought, oh, we're gonna have these supercomputers in government labs and universities talk to each other, exchange data. And you know what the killer application of the internet was? Email. It was these researchers sending emails to each other. That's what really got the internet going. It wasn't about the computers, it was about the people. And that's the thing, you have to remember, it's all about the people. What I love about our conversation is that everything you say seems to be a gem in and of itself. So in Silicon Valley, you came up with this cart idea by chatting with a friend. That must be just so amazing to sit down and just talk about tech ideas with other really smart people over coffee. Does that happen a lot in Silicon Valley? Well, once you're in Silicon Valley in particular, their ideas are everywhere. That society, the, the Silicon Valley has almost an expectation that there's something in you, there's some idea. And in a way, the entire society is asking you, please tell us your idea. Is it hard to break into Silicon Valley? I'm talking about the insiders list. That competition must be huge. It's one thing to chat about an idea over coffee. But it's another thing to meet with a venture capitalist, a mover and shaker, who will actually take your idea seriously. I share it with people that is the one place where you can get a meeting because nobody knows who has a billion dollar idea in their head. And so for them to know whether you do or you don't, they have to meet you. And maybe today it won't manifest, but it'll manifest later. So a lot of the pay for culture of Silicon Valley is that, hey, this person may be a treasure, but we don't know yet. And therefore, we got to keep the communication lines open in case that oil field actually breaks out. Many people have trouble just getting the inspiration or they have this great idea and then it just stops. I was actually explaining this to my son the other day who has an idea for a nonprofit organization. I explained to him that you can have the idea and so many people do, but the implementation is what separates you. So in other words, what is your idea process? Product ideation for me 
It's really about being challenged by a specific problem, but also being widely read. I kind of like learning, so I read about philosophy, I read about politics, I read about economics. I'm reading books, etc., pretty much on a continuous basis. So when I'm faced with a challenge, the mind will connect the dots. It will connect one problem with a solution. Let me give you an example. In online education, one of the big opportunities are massively open online courses. These are called MOOCs. So you have Harvard, Stanford, Yale, the best universities in the world offering their education to thousands of students. Anybody with the internet has access to, to this knowledge. And I'm sure that many of your listeners have experienced that they sign up for these courses. They think it's fantastic, but then life gets in the way and they never show up or never finish. So this is an active research area today. And when I looked at the problem, I actually went back to the work that BJ Fogg at Stanford is doing in persuasive technologies and behavior. And I went back to that influential book by Robert Cialdini on how people behave. And then when I looked online, I realized, wait a second, very few people had actually tied the ideas of influence and persuasion into helping students finish online courses. It just hadn't been done before. And it all came from having a diverse number of interests. Let's talk about the iPhone for a sec. It seems to be the go-to slate for all modern interactive technology. Well, at least for now. And they do have a ton of competition. But let's focus on Apple. What enabled Apple to stay ahead of the curve and create this brand new platform on which a lot of technology is now standing? The iPhone is a case of, again, the right place at the right time. Now, many of us are familiar with Moore's Law. And Moore's Law says that computing power doubles every 18 months. And so after one, two, three doublings, now it's eight times more than it was a couple of years ago. So an iPhone is simply a Mac that because of the power of Moore's law doubling every 18 months has become miniaturized. And that's a process that other players like Microsoft and BlackBerry weren't attuned to. There was a poster over in BlackBerry that says, did you save a bike today? You know, to their engineers, because at the time there wasn't a lot of bandwidth. There wasn't a lot of ability to move a lot of data across the internet. So while they were over there worrying about every bit and byte, Steve Jobs understood that that would change very soon. So when the iPhone came out, other people couldn't understand how they could pack so much technology into that device. And it was simply that the underlying technologies had evolved so much in the intervening years. Think about all the things that may not have been if it weren't for innovators, inventors, and people willing to put it all on the line. We'll hear more from Marcos, and we're going to also hear from an online strategist with a major motion picture studio. We're going to get to all of that next, but first, a word from our sponsor. We all heard the story of the first iPhone, of course. And what's funny is that now today, there are so many people out there that say, oh, I predicted that. I knew we were going to have a device that connected to the internet, took pictures, played music, all in one small little package. Right. That's Chris Hood. 
He's a digital strategist and technology entrepreneur. He has spent 20 years in the online entertainment and marketing for TV, film, music, and video games. At Fox Broadcasting, he transformed audience engagement for shows like Glee and Gotham and Sleepy Hollow, American Idol. These are the big ones. He developed TV Everywhere products. He built this new interactive media platform for brands that you know, like Doritos and Reebok and Monster.com. Then what about the films? Jurassic Park, Apollo 13, Wyatt Earp, Super Bad. They utilized his marketing campaigns. His kudos go on and on. And suffice to say, he has hit more than a few home runs in his life. The reality is this stuff is hard. Yeah, occasionally we capture lightning in a bottle, of course. But the fact is, is that if we all knew exactly what was going to happen in the future, we'd all be filthy rich. It just doesn't work that way. Sure, we can see trends. We can predict. We can see where people are taking technology. But coming up with exciting, innovative new technologies, new products that really do revolutionize the world are very hard to determine. I've been in software product development for over 25 years now, and I've seen things come and go. I remember one story where I was working at a retail place. It was my first job. This was back in the 80s. There was no internet. And one of our employees would constantly pull out a book off the shelf and read it. This book was like the yellow pages of IP addresses. He would sort through it on his breaks. He would come in before work and he would sort through it. And all we did every day was give him a hard time for reading that yellow page of IP addresses. Little did we know that the domain technology would come about and revolutionize those IP addresses. And if we would have just paid a little bit more attention to that back then, we probably would have been more on the forefront of domains. He clearly was. But in my years of experience, I've seen things happen that I can't explain, and I've been able to predict some things. Technology can be unpredictable, I get that. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. I know Apple came up with a computer called Lisa back in 1983. They were really excited about it. It was one of the first to use a graphic interface, but it just didn't fly. And there was another one, as I recall. As a matter of fact, Apple had something called the Apple Newton some years earlier, and it was just too early. And Steve Jobs actually killed that project. But by the time that the iPhone came out, the touchscreen was there, the internet was there, apps were there, and therefore all the things that were necessary for a new behavior to be supported were in place. Ah, the Newton. I do remember that. The technology definitely has to be there, but also the people have to be ready because they have to have this close relationship with the technology. Today, most people still don't like the idea of a phone or a chip implanted in their hand. 20 years ago, the general public probably wasn't ready to share so much time and intimacy, if you will, with a phone. I don't think we were ready for, say, that kind of relationship. But now for most of us, we don't make a move without our phones. It's our workout buddy. It's our connection to friends. It's our guide when we're lost. It's our doctor. It's our referral for a good restaurant. It's the thing that we turn to when we have just a few seconds and we're bored. Um, We share our entire life with our phones. I think at the end of the day, that's what everyone is looking for, whether it's a business creating a unique experience for their customers, whether it's customers looking to engage with a business in a unique way. Those are all about experiences. 
It's about connecting with things we're passionate about or connecting through devices that almost establish what our life is about. It's about connecting with friends and people and social media. And I love creating user experiences, unique, incredible, fun, and even innovative experiences. And this is what has me wondering, what is the next step? We're so spoiled now with all the possibilities on our phones. How in the world, as innovators, are you gonna muster up the creativity that's needed to say, push this whole thing forward and then combine those efforts with the engineering to make it happen? That's one of the more magical elements of what's going on today. Because in your hands, if you have a smartphone, you have an Android or, or iPhone, you have a device that can become anything. One minute is a calendar, the next is a music player, then it becomes a television, and it has sensors, it has cameras, and it's connected to a billion or two billion other devices. So there comes the creativity. The mind can't imagine anything, and now you have a device that can become anything. So that's really where the opportunity is. When we as innovators can finally have a canvas in the form of the smartphone, in the form of software with which we can paint a new world. And all this that we've been talking about seems to culminate in something that's called interactive intelligence. It's what your latest research is based upon. Am I right? Correct. So today, artificial intelligence is all the rage. But let's take a step back. Let's see at the patterns of what's happened earlier in technology. The question really is not about artificial technology, but about the human element and how the human interacts with that AI in order to create something greater. And that's what interactive intelligence is all about. Interactive intelligence is about how we mix natural intelligence with artificial intelligence in order to create something new and different. That's where the magic is. I see a common thread in everything you say, and that's one thing, the importance of having a vision. And that vision, even if you don't have all the pieces in place yet, can overcome any negativity from those naysayers. But on the other hand, there's always the possibility that after 10 years of cooking, that cake may still fall flat. My friend Steve Blank likes to say that you may be having a vision, but it might be a hallucination. So the question is, how can we validate that the vision that we have for the future is actually well supported by the technologies that are just becoming available? And that's where the real innovators are made. Being committed to your vision, but also being very realistic about what is possible at the present time and what will be possible in the very near future. It's all about timing. One of the projects that I worked on back in the early 2000s was actually a music streaming service. It was designed to allow you to share your music playlist between multiple devices. Well, we tried to shop this around to several different companies, tried to get funding, tried to get music licensing, and every single one of those people said, no, people just want to be able to listen to their music on one device. Fast forward now 15 years and look at where we are. Consumer demand is, I want to be able to play my music on any device and not have to recreate my playlist or have to re-download music. I can access my music anywhere, anytime, any device. We knew that 15 years ago. 
but it took 15 years for the technology to catch up for that to become a reality. So we're talking about some really important things. Timing, creativity, innovation, available technologies. And I'm really excited about this because we're starting to build a formula for success. And this is exactly what I promised you at the beginning of this podcast. And these guys are really delivering it all to you. So let's boil it down to a concept. The formula for innovation today. Innovation today, I believe, is about evolving ideas. We try something small. It works. We adjust. It doesn't work. We make other adjustments. We're more agile. We have agile development. We have agile marketing. We have to be quick and nimble. At my company, chdigital.com, when I sit down with clients, I ask them what their big ideas are. And then we create a roadmap to try to find a way to help them achieve those goals. Marcos, you said earlier that innovations work better when there's a good foundation or, say, a canvas to build upon. It's a big part of our formula. Now, you come from Puerto Rico, not exactly known for being the hub of technology. And we're going to spill the beans about Puerto Rico in a sec. It's not just a great place to, say, go to the beach and take a vacation. But how did a forward thinker like yourself find that innovators canvas on an island like Puerto Rico? It really actually all starts with uh, my parents. They had the vision back in 1981 to buy my brother and I a computer. At the time it was a Commodore VIC-20. And the Commodore has three and a half K of memory to work with. So that's not megs of memory or gigs of memory. It is K. It is one million times less than the amount of memory that we talk about every day. So for whatever reason, they saw that learning computing was going to be important. I don't know how they knew that, but they knew it. And they decided to make the investment. And I taught myself how to program and kind of rolled with it. And then later, I had the opportunity to come to California, come to Silicon Valley. So it was being in the right place at the right time. So you need to be at the right place at the right time and then share your idea. I know you're big on sharing ideas because like you said, that's how things get done in Silicon Valley. Give us an example of something really huge, something that you're really proud of that you made happen by sharing an idea. Well, I'll share an example of launching the aerospace industry in Puerto Rico. When I chat with people and many of your listeners, they might think Puerto Rico is a great place to go on vacation, not necessarily a great place for conducting engineering operations. But it turns out that in Puerto Rico, engineering is a prestigious profession. And for many years, U.S. defense contractors had been pulling away Puerto Rico's best talent, taking it to the United States. So there were a number of people already that understood the value of Puerto Rico's engineering talent. It just hadn't been advertised. So what we did is that we shared our idea with them, with those Puerto Ricans that were already embedded in the companies. And we told them, hey, instead of recruiting more engineers from Puerto Rico, why don't you bring your engineering center to Puerto Rico? And this was a new idea because Puerto Rico had always been marketed as a location for manufacturing and tax incentives. It had never been positioned as a location for world-class engineering talent. But that message resonated. And then six companies were able to launch in just a couple years. And we're talking about Honeywell Aerospace, Lockheed Martin, and other companies like it were able to launch in Puerto Rico based on sharing the idea, a new way of looking at it. I know some people are listening right now. They're thinking to themselves, I've got this really great idea, but they're afraid to share it with the wrong person, say somebody who might copy them. 
people only copy you once you've already succeeded. No one was copying Noah. Noah was building the ark out of the open. Everybody knew what he was doing, but he was seeing what other people couldn't see. Once the flood started, everyone wanted to copy Noah. But before, no one wants to do that. So don't worry about your ideas being copied. Worry about sharing your idea smartly. But in order to find those backers, in order to find the people that will want to join your team, the investors that are going to want to fund the startups, and the customers that are going to buy your innovation, you've got to learn how to share your idea. So let's say I've put myself out on a limb. I've shared this great idea, and my connections are all saying, no way, that's a lemon. It's never going to get off the ground. What were you smoking? What were you drinking? What then? Even if it's a simple user experience in a website, I'll still get people that say that can't be done. Well, it's one of those things where you just have to ignore it. From my years of experience, whether it's technology, product, web, even marketing, I've heard people tell me constantly, well, that's just too complicated or now that's not going to work. In the immortal words of Walt Disney, one of my all-time idols, if you can dream it, you can do it. I've always said that myself. If you can dream it, you can do it. We're talking about timing, creativity, available technology. Be at the right place at the right time. And then share our formula for tech success. And if you study Chris and Marco's track record, you'll see that it works. I'm telling you, it really works. You guys have made this podcast worth about a billion dollars. So thank you for that. And now I want all of our tech-hungry podcast listeners to get a taste of some high-level challenges. Stuff that you just don't discuss with the average Joe or Jane. So let's close this podcast with a bang. Let's hear some of the biggest challenges you're facing today. I often do a lot of conversation on digital transformation. Digital transformation looks at the impact that technology is having on our society. It's about how technology is accelerating at a pace where businesses can't keep up with it. Or more so, it's about the expectations consumers have in terms of where technology should be as it relates to the businesses that they interact with. So if businesses are unable to keep up with that demand or those expectations, then those customers may go to somewhere else. But the problem is, it's not even that the business can keep up with it. We just don't know what's going to happen. And Marcos, what are you working on currently that you think will impact the future of technology? I'll put it to you this way. Electoral politics are just an information processing system. It's just a way in which we as a people identify who will lead us. Economics is just an information processing system. It's a way for us to identify what the prices for various products are. And so when I look at society today, when I look at economics and politics, I just see that our modern societies actually run in old technologies. What if we could reprogram both? That is the future where we turn our society into software and are able to reprogram our future. And that's part of the work that I'm doing at this time. So think about what bugs you about technology, things you wish you could change. Then just start writing down your ideas. Even if you don't have the means to make it happen, write it down, share it. You never know what's going to be possible in the future. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's never too late. Remember, Henry Ford was 45 when he invented the Model T. 
and a guy named Momo Fukuando invented instant ramen noodles. He was 48. Now, where would we be without him? Jack Cover invented the taser gun. He was 50. The inventor of the Dyson vacuum cleaner. Okay, he didn't hit it big until he was 39. Oh, but I love Thomas Edison. He kept inventing way into his older years. He received his last patent at 83. Physicist Sir William Crookes was 68 when he created the first devices to study radioactivity. A Polish countess helped to develop surgical techniques for breast cancer by operating, get this, on herself at age 63. Steve Jobs was turning 52 when he introduced the iPhone. And my friend, David Friend, one of the co-founders of Carbonite.com, super successful company, he's 67, and he just invented and started a company called Wasabi. It's a company that's set to really give Amazon S3 servers a run for their money. And I asked David, I mean, how did you come up with this special algorithm for Wasabi? And he explained at the age of 67, he can't invent Snapchat, but he can invent functional things. So my advice, keep plugging away. Here at the Commando Broadcast Center, we do an incredible amount of research each and every week. We turn that research into articles, podcasts, a national radio show. We reach altogether about 20 million impressions every single month. And I do this not to just keep you informed and up to date, but I really want to inspire you to be the best and to do the best. So to stay inspired, listen to the shows, get our newsletters, subscribe to these podcasts. And then when you invent something super cool, you can sing this song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. If you're not already getting the Kim Commando show on your local radio station, you're totally missing out. It's three hours every single weekend, just jam-packed. And because you love podcasts, you can get the Kim Commando Show podcast, too. You just have to join Kim's Club. It's less than five bucks a month. We have senior military and service personnel discounts available, too. You can learn more at getkim.com. Once again, that's getkim.com. And if you just want to find your local radio station, we have 400 top stations from coast to coast. Head over to commando.com slash radio. That's K-O-M-A-N-D-O dot com slash radio. And thanks for joining us.